Hi, this is Karis, and welcome to the Launch School podcast. Today, we have another great session lined up as Chris and I will be discussing a recent inspiring GatherTown talk given by Cole grad student Jake. Then I'll be interviewing Capstone graduate and Launch School alumna Catherine, who shares what life has been like as a software engineer a year and a half on from her studies at Launch School. And lastly, I'll close out the episode with some upcoming events that you should be aware of. And of course, everything that we'll talk about today can be found in the show notes. So let us dive in in today's topic and begin our discussion with Chris. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Hey, Karis. Yeah, doing doing really well. Good to hear from you again for another episode. <laughs> Fantastic. So we're going to dive in and talk about Jake's GatherTown talk. So for those of you who have yet to watch this talk, you can find a recording of it on our YouTube account, which I will link for you in the show notes. But just to summarize, Jake spoke about his journey from how he went from being a C student during college and high school to an A-plus student at launch school and the transformation that he underwent to get there. He then discussed how someone could also make that journey, especially if they have absolutely no idea how to begin. He also shared his philosophy on what success looks like at launch school based on his own personal experiences. So overall, I actually think that this is the kind of mindset that students should be looking to adopt for the launch school curriculum. That is like to challenge any ideas that you have about what you think you're capable of. Chris, do you think that personal transformation is like a necessary step for students to undergo while going through launch school? Yeah, I think this is probably the most important thing to think about because I always say our curriculum is designed for the average launch school student, which is nobody. So in other words, nobody sort of fits that average perfectly. Yes. And you're always going to have to bend towards what the curriculum is asking of you. Even if one course feels great, the next course may not. Sure. So some sort of transformation, I think, is always necessary. Right. But I think it's especially true for people who have historically not been what Jake says, a plus student. And yes. I really, really liked this talk, this video. Kudos to Jake for sort of volunteering to do this out of the blue and then doing such a good job with it. And I think the big takeaway for me listening to Jake is that the idea that there's no like C students or A students. Sure. It's that you have a methodology. So you have a C methodology, and that's why you got to see, or you right. have an A methodology, and everybody is capable of a C level methodology or capable of an A level methodology. Right. And so if historically you've been an A student, A plus student your whole life, and that just means that you've had A level methodology in your prior coursework, you come to launch goal. And if that standard, that bar matches what we're asking for at launch goal, then you're just, you're going to get an A. But yeah, I think it's a mistake to just say I'm an A student, period. Right, right, right. right. So, so you've had th that methodology carried over to what we're asking for at launch school. Right. So it's almost like historically, if you were a C student or A student, it doesn't really matter. If the bar is different at launch school, you have to transform to match it. Yes. Right. So let's say you were an A plus student historically, but then you mm -hmm. go to launch school and you, it's, it's much more difficult than what you're used to. Right. So it doesn't mean now you're a C student. Yes. Right. It just means you have to change the methodology. So I, I really like how Jake talked about that. And in a lot of ways, what we're doing at Launch School, especially the mastery based learning to core curriculum, you know, that's where I always say the magic happens. Yes. The magic happens because of transformation, right? If you're yeah. just applying what you already know, then I think that doesn't make Launch School any 
more special than any other program that selects the students that can be successful only, right? So I would say that's how the vast majority of elite and rigorous training programs operate. They select for students. And I think what makes law school different is we actually ask for transformation. Right. And we give you time for that, you know? So again, if it happens to hit, you know, you come and everything feels natural, great, continue forward. But that's not the majority experience. Yes. Right. And I'm glad that we're able to talk about that, not just the natural, successful student at law school, but if it's unnatural, if it doesn't yes. feel normal, quote unquote, right. And it does require some sort of transformation. That's that to me is probably the normal experience at law school. Yeah. That's so good to know and so comforting to hear because at least for me as well, there was times that I struggled when going through the curriculum just because that mastery wasn't always a natural thing for me or learning programming as well. So it's it's very good to hear that this is also the experience of others as well. And that's that's very interesting. Yeah, most most others. Most others. Yeah, even better. So for anybody listening out there that if you are a little bit concerned that that this is just a very normal thing that's part of the process, that's great to hear. Another thing that I really liked was I really loved Jake's A+. Plus checklist. He mentioned this in, in his talk, the sample guide for students that they might use as a starting template for their own studies. And I'll definitely add this as a link in the show notes. But I wanted to ask you, Chris, what do you think about students using these kinds of checklists at law school? Is it a good idea or should students only be referring to the course's study guide? I think it's really important that people learn to create these sort of checklists for themselves. So right. if you want to look at Jake's great And we have a lot of like articles and students who would write, here's my mental model representation of whatever they're learning. And it's a diagram. And I think the key here isn't to take that diagram or to take someone else's checklist. And that's it. Yes, It's to use that as an example. Now you go recreate that. You go recreate that diagram so that the mental models are clear in your own head and recreate your own A plus checklist. And in the, in the video, Jake talks about his limits in terms of study. You know, one thing I really enjoy hearing about is what his limits were. He's talked about like studying for five or six hours a day and that's it. You know, he can't right. do more than that. And so right. he needed to take a break. Yes. And by the way, that's actually like my personal limit as well, about mm-hmm. five, six hours maximum of, mm-hmm. of studying. That's pretty much all I can do without, you know, kind of wasting my time. Sure. But everyone's different. You know, I, see a lot of students and I know there are people that can do like 10 hours of studying and apparently it's effective, right? We have some students coming out of Wall Street, for example, and they're notorious for working 100 hour weeks. Wow! I literally have students come and say, I've cut down my job to 56 hours a week and <laughs> oh I'm willing to spend 20 hours a week on logical. I'm like, that's 76 hours. <laughs> I mean, 76 hours is over 10 hours a day, every day, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah, but they're used to working that. I mean, I'm not. I've never worked more than I want to say like 75 hours in a week. <laughs> but there are people out there who can, and I think sure. it's important to just know your own limit, right? right? Push yourself right. to know to so that you eventually find your limit and that you can find your own study cadence that's sustainable, right? What yes. is your limit? So the fact that Jake can talk about this is my limit after this X number of hours, I need a break. He says it with such certainty. Yes. I think the takeaway there isn't to say, oh, okay, 
that means I can only study five or six hours. I mean, it could be three for you, right? Yes, or it could be yeah. 10. Whatever it is, it's almost like know that about yourself. Know what your own capabilities are. And to answer the question about the A-plus checklist, it's the same thing. Like make your own A-plus checklist. How do you get to A-plus? So Jake will say he goes through the course, you know, X number of times, like twice or something. Right. I mean, maybe for you, it's three times or maybe yes. it's once, right? Yeah. What is it? I don't know. Or maybe for this topic, it's twice, but for that topic, it's once. Sure. So it's all about like kind of knowing yourself more and giving yourself time to know just because in traditional education, I don't think you're given that time to figure it out. It's just like we have this topic and it's, you know, we're going to move on tomorrow or, yeah. you know, in two days. Yeah. Whatever you can consume in that time is it, right? Yes. If you happen to be free and you spend a ton of time, you seem to understand that topic well, but if you happen to be busy, you're not going to know that topic well. And I think it's unfortunate because it doesn't mean that you can't know that topic. Yeah. So in a master-based learning style, it's like, you have to know what your study limits are and yes. use that time and figure that yeah. out for yourself. So A plus checklist, same thing. Yeah, I think you should have some sort of process, but should your checklist look exactly like Jake's? That part, I think you got to figure out. Yeah, 100% agree. And and you're right about in traditional schooling, you don't often get that time to figure this sort of stuff out. But when you remove the fixed duration such as being at a school like launch school, you do have to consider all these things. What are my limits? And you have to develop a kind of self-awareness. And it's kind of what Jake had displayed in his talk. He he has the self-awareness of this is my limit. This is where I, I can only do so much. And you have to be able to figure that out for yourself. That's really, really great advice. Thank you. Thanks for elaborating on that. I also wanted to expand on this idea of what Jake said of good grades as the goal. And what helped me personally gain success in my own studies at law school when I was going through the core curriculum was to put grades to one side and focus on mastering the fundamentals. And just to keep reminding myself that I'm building job-ready skills at law school. And what I found was good grades were sort of a great side effect of that. What are your thoughts on how much emphasis students should place on getting good grades at law school? Yeah, this is a really interesting question because I think we all know certain people who do well in school in terms of getting good grades, but they're sort of skirting learning just to maximize grades. And I was guilty of that in certain courses that maybe I was not into, but, you know, do extra credit here and beg the teacher for a grade. That's not the goal here. I think in traditional education, students are really smart. They know that certain courses, the grades have no relevance on their lives. And mm. so sometimes you're out there just, yeah, just to get a grade, you know, do I right. really want to master Eastern European history, 18th century <laughs> onwards, right? Like, I just want to get an A and move on with my life, right? Sure. If you're at law school, it's all voluntary. Hopefully you're here because you want to become good software engineers. And here, the coursework correlate with what you, what your goal is directly. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's a lot of alignment between like, learning the material, mastering the concepts in each course and getting a good grade. Unlike, let's say, in some random class you might take in high school or college where, you know, it, if I can get an A without learning, all the better. So this is why I think it, here it can work to not focus on grades. And also Jake in the video mentioned something really good. He said, do two different types of failure, right? One is, you know, you didn't give your best effort. You know that you could do more. The other is you gave your best, but that's it. You know, you're, you're trying to get a gold medal in skiing and there's only one gold medal <laughs> to be given, right? <laughs> right. And, and so 
the latter is okay. If you're giving your best, that's okay. Right. So I think getting grays here is, is a similar idea. It's like, do a good job, do your best. And sometimes on these interviews, all kinds of things happen. Maybe technical problems come up. You know, you have spotty internet, you have yes. nerves that yes. come up. Right. This is why we say yes. to not yet. Right. And this is why we give you a chance to take it again. And so that it maximizes a successful attempt when you actually go on a job interview. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think for launch school, getting getting the grades is, yeah, it's not the goal, but the grades correlate with the end goal right. far more so than traditional education might, sure. in, especially if you're taking like a random course. Definitely. It's great that you also mentioned interviews as well, sort of taking a walk back through my experiences doing interviews at launch school. For the first time, I was very nervous. And I, I do remember thinking to myself, am I able to move through these nerves and actually do the interview? And I remember what really, really helped was that practice and just sort of being able to do like a bit of a trust fall back on my practice, that as long as I had prepared enough, and what Jake talks about is that you have to go into an assessment aiming for an A+. And as long as that you do that work, like that that should be the goal. I was nervous, but then I did that sort of fall back and, and realized that, oh, that's right. I do know what I'm doing. And then that's what happens. Yeah. But I did want to ask you, is there anything else that you would like to share in regards to Jake's talk before we move on? No, I think... I was just really glad to hear people talk about getting not yet, getting conditional passes, because at launch school, it's not the end of the world. You know, we're doing this to succeed later, right? And our grades, sort of related to the previous question, our grades are not meant to be punitive. They're meant to be helpful. We give you feedback to improve so that the next time go around, you can hit that bar. And also these assessments where you do get the grades, these assessments are calibrated to the market. This is, this is what employers are looking for. Right. You know, right. I mean, students get me demands, right? They, what do they ask for me? Give me a curriculum that could drive me to six figure jobs, right? That that's what people want. And, and then I'm like, okay, here it is. (laughs) So (laughs) here it is. Here's what they're asking for, right? Yeah. So this is a little bit of just kind of trying to combine both ends and the bridge here between how much support will you give me? How much help will you give me on the student side to on the employer side? Give me your best and brightest only, right? This is very incongruent. The bridge is hard work, transform, Mm -hmm. right? So transform Mm -hmm. to somebody who is studious. Yeah. And and that's how you get there. Thank you so much, Chris, for discussing Jake's talk with me. And I actually have some other questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So this one came from the podcast request form. So somebody asked a question to you. Since you have seen so many software engineers throughout your career, have you seen technical skills or interpersonal skills as more important in career progression? And the person who asked this question understands that both are critical, but they want to know if a person who is very technical but antisocial is going to go further in their career versus someone that is not as technical but very charismatic. Yeah, this is a difficult question to answer. I mean, the answer is going to be dependent on the culture of each company. Different companies will have different emphasis and you'll sort of naturally grow in the direction where you're rewarded, right? There's going to be organizations that reward one more than the other. Yes. And you have to find an opening if you feel that you're, you know, more so one or the other. But I will say that I think this question poses a false dichotomy. And the best programmers I know, for example, are also top-notch communicators. Sure, right. 
I would say, especially for the launch school audience who are fairly new in their careers to try to not think in this way, right? So as you progress in your career, I mean, you're just going to run into more and more and more people who are excellent at both, excellent technologists and excellent communicators. That That's mm-hmm. just the common thing you're going to run into. Unless you are like a top 10% technologist, you can get away with being extra grumpy, right? Like Linus <laughs> Torvalds, the creator of uh, Linux and Git. I mean, world-renowned grumpiness there. <laughs> <laughs> and he can get away with that, right? Sure. Uh, if you're a top 10% communicator, then yeah, you don't need any technical ability, right? You just talk your right. way through things. Yes. But for the rest of us, you know, especially again, the launch school audience here, develop both. You're already at launch school, so launch school can help with one of them. And although I think our sort of fanatical precision to language helps with written communication, but it's up to people to develop their verbal communication skills. Sure. And professionalism, all that. It, it's super, super important to do both. So I feel like I'm not sure what prompted the question, but I think for anyone at launch school, you have to push on both and launch yes. can definitely help with the technical. But yeah, I wouldn't assume that one is going to work out more so than the other. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree. And I suppose even at launch school, you can also work on your interpersonal skills through the community. But also we do have things such as the peer-led seminars. That's like a really great way to do that, isn't it? Definitely. Peer-led seminars, for those of you who don't know, we ask people to present on topic every week. So it's a chance to do a presentation to a smaller group. And I think it's a great opportunity. My best advice is take as many of these opportunities as you possibly can. The stereotype of a genius coder coming out with the perfect product, that just doesn't exist. Everything is collaborative and uh, communication is absolutely key, but so is technical mastery. So you need both. Yeah. And and if you have both, you're going to do really, really well. Yeah. Fantastic. Such great advice. Thank you. Thank you so much. I do have another question. So this is unrelated to the first one, but For those that choose to continue their studies and do capstone at launch school, I wanted to ask your opinion on income share agreements. Since the capstone fee is based on an ISA, is there anything that students should be concerned about when agreeing to one? And what does launch school do to sort of help tackle these concerns? Oh, wow. That's a huge topic. Income share agreements are pretty controversial right now, I think. I mean, I'm not a purported expert on income share agreements, but we use an ISA and capstone. So let's back up and say income share agreements purport to solve a couple major issues with regards to financing education. One is incentivizing alignment. In other words, it's supposed to help schools provide more results-oriented education than without ISA, supposedly, right? Right. The other one is deferring the payment, kind of like a student loan. So there's like two qualities with ISAs that it helps with. But there are some, there are some major side effects with ISAs. So first of all, it could be abused by, by students, right? So looking for a shortcut. So when you defer payment, when you have that quality, it sort of attracts people who might be looking for a free thing, like looking for a shortcut. And so there's a lot of education institutions that use ISA and they call this the adverse selection problem. So when, when, when anything you do that, that you don't have to pay for now. Right. You have this adverse selection problem Mm -hmm. versus like charging it up front. The other thing is potentially there could be a a fraud, right? By the students, like lack of trust. For example, you come, you say you're going to pay them back and then you don't. Right. right? (laughs) But besides the students, there's 
a lot of room for abuse by, I think, schools too. So again, the idea of incentive alignment is that the education should result in some result, and therefore you get paid based on the quality of that result, and usually they use salary, right? Right. Me personally, I haven't felt the pressure of that ISA sort of pushing people to higher paying roles, right? So like, it's very common, for example, when I work with capstone grads and we're talking about salaries to even say, yeah, you should take that lower paying one because it seems better. You seem to like the people more and it seems like a better fit. But the quality of like deferring payment, I think is really good. People really like that. Otherwise, there's this idea of like, how am I supposed to give this expensive service and you don't pay, right? We can defer the payment. Sure. But another problem with defer payment is that for schools, they could prolong the contract. So for example, there's this idea of, I'm going to give you a service. And if you get a job in the next five years, you owe me money for that service, right? And that's just such a long duration, five years. Mm, And you could, for example, provide a really bad service, education, and then the student could go off and say, well, that was useless. And then self-teach or use a different service and learn and actually get a job from that second service within the second year, for example, but then still have to owe money on the first service, right? even though they didn't do anything, right? So there's a lot of weirdness with this whenever you try to provide service first without charging money. And then there's all kinds of weird, like super high cost income share agreements where it's like 5% over five years. Wow. that's not 25%. That's that's going to be more than 25% of your first year salary's number. If you make 100 grand your first year, you probably get a raise your second year, third year, fourth year. By your fifth mm-hmm. year, you can make a lot of money. We have capstone grads four or five years out that are yes. making way more than they were making their first year. Sure. You take 5% of that, much higher number. That's, that's extremely high. So yeah. our capstone ISA right now is 18% of their first mm-hmm. year salary. And I just kind of threw out an example. I said, what if it was like 1% for 18 years? They're like, no way. <laughs> like, <laughs> is it the same? No, it's not the same. Because you make a lot more later, right? Yeah. How about 1% for 10 years? Still yeah. no way, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because you can make a lot more after year five. Right. So really interesting to see all these different options. And I think a lot of schools have a lot of protections built in, like the five-year thing to prevent abuse, right? So what if they have a student that take the education and then say, nope, I'm, you know, going to go to grad school now. Yeah, yeah. And then, so that school is out of luck. You go to grad sure. school, that's two, three years, get a master's, yes. and then you get a job. Mm-hmm. So you got free education, and then you went to get a master's, and then you got a job. So I think they're trying to prevent that. That's why it's five years. But right. when you add those protection layers in, guess what? The schools now can abuse the student, right? I see, I see. Sounds like a balancing act. (laughs) It's super hard. And I think a lot of these problems come from ultimately you need to select for the right type of student to participate in ISA. When you are engaging with people who you don't really know very well in an ISA, that's what happens. From the school's perspective, you have to layer in all kinds of protections. But then these protections then allow you to abuse students. I see. So how does law school deal with that? I'll address like each of these at at, at a time, I guess. That 5% over five years thing, like we just don't do that. We just do first year. Sure. Right. Sure. We don't do multiple years. So like we charge 18% of first year salary. It's not the same as 9% over two years. Those are not mm-hmm. equal numbers. I see. Right. Or even 8% over two years. Those are not equal numbers because you're, you make more in your second year. Right. Right. That makes sense. The second thing is we engage our ISA much, much later after we've developed a lot of trust 
And we establish that trust by asking people to do a ton of work before we engage with the ISA. So I call this the ISA later model. So there's an ISA first model. Like, I don't really know you. Here's the ISA to sign. It's got to be very, very heavily laden with protection. Yeah. Right. In case you abuse me, the school, I have to protect myself. Yeah. With launch school, we ask you to prove yourself through a ton of work before we give you an ISA. Sure. I see. And and of course, that ton of work is the core curriculum. I see. So by doing that, we establish a lot of trust. I mean, it it takes a long time to go through the core curriculum. And Mm. so I don't think anybody will scam us by working through the core curriculum. (laughs) That would be too (laughs) difficult of a scam, right, for them. So in that way, we're able to have an ISA that's very student-friendly without all these heavy-handed approach to it that, you know, the ISA first approach will have. And we have the most student-friendly and the lowest price ISA on the market for that reason is because we engage the ISA after core. See, I see. I I mean, this makes a lot of sense. It's it's a very interesting topic. And just thank you so much for being very transparent about Launch School's ISA, the model and what you call ISA later. It's very interesting as well, like this idea about building trust and that it works both ways, doesn't it? So we're trusting Launch School and then Launch School is getting to know us and and trusting us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ultimately, it all comes down to trust. It really does. And you work through core, you're building trust too. We're building trust in each other, right? Yeah. And that's why Capstone can work with an ISA. And so we can, you know, provide a service like Capstone without asking for anything up front other than a small deposit. Yeah, because by the time that you get to Capstone, you you know Launch School, you know it really, really well. Yeah, exactly. And then the school, the staff knows you. And so that decision becomes very natural. Yeah, exactly. And I wouldn't know what to do if somebody came out of nowhere and applied to Capstone. Right, and right. Just because it's, again, so expensive for us to operate Capstone, it's like, how would I make that decision to admit the student or not? I see, I see. That makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for those other questions that you got to answer and our talk. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we close? Nope. And I just, I listened to Catherine's interview with you. I thought it was so good. Oh, fantastic. So I want to encourage people to listen to the next part here in podcast and also check out Jake's video. I thought that was so good too. There's just so many like good things. It all takes time, but you know, put it on while you're exercising or doing dishes or something like that. At least that's what I do. Yeah, I do that too. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Chris. And that concludes our discussion. Our guest here today is Catherine, who has been in the industry for a little while now as a software engineer at Shopify. Catherine was both a student and as TA at Launch School and has completed Capstone as an international student based in Canada. I'm super interested to hear her unique journey through Launch School. So welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Kenneth. Great to have you with us. So, I mean, I want to hear all about your journey so far and being in Shopify as a software engineer. But before we get into that, I just want to sort of go all the way back to what were you doing prior to Launch School? 
Yes, of course. I was thinking about this question and like I have a pretty unusual background and think yeah. that I needed to talk about this background in each interview I had with tech companies, right? Sure. So for people that are worried sometimes like, oh, I have like this unusual background, keep that in mind, right? Because I think mine is pretty unusual. And there are like kind of two parts to my background, as I like to emphasize. Like when I was in university, I was kind of a proud humanities student, so not a science person at that point, but I was very interested in the linguistics. So it was a very niche branch of linguistic called historical linguistics. Sure. And so I worked for some time kind of as a grad student, tried right, doing some teaching and some research. And at some point I dropped out of academia. But then after that, uh, many adventures. But for, for a few years, I was actually a small scale farmer. Wow. And I kind of made a living uh, out of it for a few years. And this is what led me eventually to programming, because after a few years, I realized that it can be very fun as a hobby. It's not a great career choice, in my opinion. It's a very tough life. Yeah. Uh, so again, after a few years, uh, I enjoyed that part of my life. But I was like, hmm, I think I need to reconsider my, my career options and maybe aim for something more, more sustainable in the future. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So from linguistics to, to farming, uh, that's just, that's wow. That's an incredible story. So then how did you go from farming and linguistics to then first discovering launch school? Yeah, that, that's also an interesting story. So I was born in Montreal. I'm based in Montreal now, but I spent many years uh, living abroad. So I lived in Greece and in Israel. My partner at the time was, was a, a Israeli person. Yes. And he wasn't a, a developer himself, but he had many friends that had been uh, kind of software engineers trained by the army. I had no connection to that world prior, but right. through those relationships, right? And those guys were kind of crazy hackers, but <laughs> that's the way I got introduced to the field, right? Right. And it was intriguing, intriguing to say the least, right? <laughs> so I was like, this this looks interesting, right? And these guys, they, they have a pretty good life. <laughs> so like, let's look into this thing. And I, I think looking into it, I quickly saw the similarities with my linguistic background. And I was like, actually, I think this could be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very lucky that I found Launch School by chance, right? Uh-huh. Uh, internet digging through. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's really tough, right? I was really turned away from other boot camps by the marketing, as I think many of us are, right? When they, they try to sell you a dream that doesn't make sense. Yeah. My yeah. like uh, red alert flag like goes on. Mm-hmm. And Launch School felt so honest, right? And again, I think many people had the same experience. So yes. kind of found Launch School by chance. They, they put out a lot of written material about their content and their approach. Yes. So I felt I could really kind of understand their philosophy of education even kind of try out right the prep course is is free so and by then I was hooked so it was was too late to look back right so again it was kind of this very honest messaging the fact that I could try it out without even paying also at this point right I I wasn't a young 20 years old anymore and I was working so I wouldn't have committed to some kind of full-time studies but the fact that it was very flexible right I kind of pay every month Right. If you don't like it, you can stop. If life yes. gets crazy, uh, you can stop that. That was a big advantage for me. Sure. Wow. Um, but again, another great story. And it's really quite interesting for you to be able to first go from those connections that you had, those relationships that you had, and then seeing that programming could be something very interesting for you 
and then finding launch score after some research. And I, I fully agree with you when it comes to just the honesty and the way that the pedagogy is written, at least for me, when I was going through the curriculum itself, that's what I was drawn to. I wasn't being marketed to. There wasn't this hype. It was just very honest. And that's how I felt throughout the whole process. So thank you for elaborating on that. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Maybe can I add a little something? Yeah, sure. You remind me of like when I was chatting with recruiters and telling them about my, my story, right? Which, which I kind of told you now. And you're always trying to present a narrative that makes sense to the other person. Yes. Your own personal narrative, but it has to make sense. Yes. So it, it made me reflect a bit on that. And one thing I want to add was when I was in academia, I really enjoyed what I was doing, but I felt it was disconnected from the real world. Right. And and when I went into farming, I think it was a desire to be in the world, right? And to have an impact on the world. And, and I had that through that phase, but it was a very local, small scale impact. Sure. So I think when I discovered programming through Launch School, what I was really attracted to and what's proving true now is the intellectual activity that I enjoyed when I studied linguistic is very similar to the enjoyment I have now. But my work is in the world right? It's right. not in an academic bubble. So that's a, a bit the way I, I presented it, of trying to have, trying to use my skills and things that yes. interest me naturally to yeah. have an impact for good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're sort of bringing those two worlds together. That's really quite extraordinary. I didn't know programming could do that, but of course it, it does. Yes. <laughs> Great. So you know, you went through launch school, you went through the core curriculum and, you know, you, you were a TA and a student at the same time. And I'll get into that a little bit later, but you did eventually go to Capstone and you decided to do the Capstone program, but then you, you were doing that as a Canadian student. So I wanted to ask you, what was the Capstone experience like for you in general? Yeah, for sure. I'll preface by saying I didn't see any difference being a Canadian just because like it's pretty much the same. I'm in Montreal, so it's Eastern time, right? There's no big time difference. Yes. Uh, even people in the States are kind of spread, right? Between West Coast, East Coast. Yes. Uh, so that wasn't the challenge at all. I, I can say like from, from the beginning of lunch school, so as I said earlier, like I was hooked from the start, right? I really enjoyed I remember like RB101, right? And I, I, as a linguist, some, some students kind of did dislike a bit this kind of going into the nitty gritty of a, a yes. language. <laughs> I was thrilled, right? <laughs> like, uh, I, I, so I enjoyed every course. Like I won't say some, some parts are difficult, like life happens and sometimes you feel you're not making progress. So it was fun. And before Capstone, I was like, so Capstone, people say, oh, it's really hard. I was like, oh, will it stop being fun, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and then I went to Capstone and it didn't stop being fun. I and mean, Capstone is kind of split in many phases. Yes. Right? You have a kind of more learning phase. Um, and then you work on the project with your team. And then you have the job hunt phase. And I, I was kind of always waiting for the moment where maybe it's going to stop being fun, but it didn't. Uh, so so it, was, it was very intense, right? It's a different experience than yes. uh, core. It requires yes. a full commitment mm-hmm. um, and, and a kind of change of mindset a bit. But it, it was an extremely good experience, right? I really enjoy, I think I learned very well with other people. That's also something I've tried to do in core, right? So yes. having this small group of person, actually, it, it, it reminded me and other people mentioned it also kind of the graduate studies, right? Grad school, that was a niche field. We were a very small group of people, mm-hmm. deeply interested and deeply motivated, mm-hmm. kind of brainstorming ideas, right? And learning deeply. And, and Capson reminded me of that. Yes. Right, where we have these extra committed people that have put everything aside to do these months of capstone. Yeah. And they have the baseline knowledge. So what happens within a small group like that is kind of magic. Yes. 
Wow. I mean, it sounds incredible. And from what I heard of it, it is an industry-based project that is modeled after a master's program or a master's thesis. So it's kind of reminding me of what you're saying that, you know, you do this big research independent project. The, the caveat I, I will say, and it's something I have to fight against even now in, mm-hmm. in my job, is like working as a software engineer and doing your research is very different. Right. And sometimes the researcher mindset is good and sometimes it can kind of hinder us, I think, sure. because it's very different. So there, there's this kind of, in the end, you need to build something, right? And that something needs to be useful. And sometimes I fall back on my kind of research a bit. So I sure. have this ingrained in me, yeah. but with a focus on, for example, fast prototyping, right? This yes. is something I learned during Capstone and it's something I use at work, right? <clears throat> you need to understand the problem you're trying to solve and a bunch of stuff. But at some point you have to get into that very practical mindset. Yes. Right. Yes. Nothing's going to be perfect. You have to make some trade-off. You have to build, and probably there will be a few iterations on this build yes. process. I think I experienced it for the first time in the, in Capstone, oh, and okay. now it's part of my development process at work. Right. So uh, I think we're going to talk about my team a bit later. But we we do a bunch of stuff, but we also build project from the ground up, and the yes. process is actually very similar. Yes. To uh, on a bigger scale, right? But to what we did in Capstone. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sort of bringing those two worlds together, bringing, you know, what you do now and then how Capstone is related to that. So that's fantastic. Could you share a little bit about your Capstone project, if you can remember? <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, for sure. So we, we, Capstone was like smaller at that time. So we were a small team. And so we ended up being a team of two. Okay. I had a great, great teammate. We were still in touch. Right, we became Wonderful. really good friends. We had very uh, complementary ways of uh, working, and we we were building this kind of I think we called it like a drop-in uh, real-time server. Often, like this is something I see at work now. It's often multiple services that integrate with one another. Sure. And we provided something, and our goal was to make it kind of easy to use. Right. Right. So we handle all the uh, behind-the-scene like infrastructure stuff, like deploying your your service on cloud infrastructure. Yes. So that other people wouldn't need to take care of it, right? And a user of our service would just kind of have to type a few commands. Yes. Right? With a few parameters, and then they could immediately use it. So our kind of pitch was that all that complexity, right, of deploying kind of a, a cloud service, and there's a lot of complexity involved, uh-huh. we, we take it away from you, right? And if you want oh, to use this, yes. we provide an easy way to do it. Right? Yes. Wow. Yes. I mean, it, it sounds like quite a project. And that's, that's the great thing about these projects from, from what I've heard is that they're solving these real world software engineering problems. And it, it sounds like your project did just that. So you took your whole capstone experience with you, including this industry project that you created and you went to the job hunt. Do you remember if you could tell me a little bit about your job hunting process? What was that like for you? For sure, I remember. No, it's it's a kind of intense. It's an intense phase, the job hunt, and I can see it. It, it was the first time for me, like in the tech industry. Yes. To go through it. One thing I say is that I kept, I felt extremely supported by my Capstone teammate and, and the Capstone staff, right? And I think this was yes. a big advantage. Like I wouldn't want to go alone uh, on this journey, but I think with the support of my peers and the staff, right, and it kind of normalizes the process. I interviewed with a bunch of companies, right, smaller and bigger companies. A lot of the big companies follow a pretty standard process. So it's great when you know ahead of time what you're getting into, right? Mm-hmm. 
what to expect. And then it's great to be able to discuss what you're going through with other people in the same right. same stage as you, right? So I, I remember, for example, I, I told you before of like the, the recruiter call, right? It's often the entry point of the interview process. So yes. if, if they, they've looked at your resume and they, they've deemed you interesting, <laughs> right? <laughs> then, then they will schedule a call and then you will talk with the recruiter. And I remember the first time I was so stressed, right? I was pacing in my apartment, like back yeah. and forth and like thinking about a million things. But because the, the recommendation is, and I think it's a good recommendation, is to apply to multiple companies, right? You don't want to be too focused on one mm-hmm. because a lot of factors can influence the result of a, an application at a given company, right? So you want to have like multiple companies that you're interested in and apply to many of them. So basically I had... I had a bunch of them scheduled, right? So what I want to say is like the first time it's stressful. The second time it's less stressful. And like after my first week, I was talking with these recruiters as if they were my best friend. Right? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, but it's true. It was amazing for me to see because it's like, it's like learning process in action, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't think anyone is like by nature good at interviewing or at least no. I'm not, right? But you can get good at it with just a little bit of practice. And like what I described to you happened in a week, like from that moment, the first call, which wasn't even a company I was really interested in. And I was like pacing back and forth and stress to like a few days later, just having done it a few times, right? Being extremely comfortable talking with recruiters. Because again, it's just a matter of practice. Mm, that's that's very true. And I mean, thank you so much for sharing you know, having all that support behind you. I just, I didn't actually connect that, but that makes perfect sense of having people by your side, having the staff surrounding you, you know, it's like a little team behind you sort of supporting you. I mean, that that sounds like the best sort of job hunting process that you could be in at the time. That's so great. I feel there is a kind of, uh, there is a power imbalance in the interview process mm-hmm. because big companies, they, they have a whole team, like usually called like talent acquisition right. or something, right? Yes. They know Absolutely. the game. They know the game very well. When you go alone into that process, that's where I see the power imbalance. And I think with Capstone, we aim to correct a bit the power imbalance. Right. Why? By by having shared information. So as like peers in Capstone, we would share information about red flags. Right. Why? Hey, this happened in the interview process. Is it normal? What do you guys think? Yes. Right? And and then you can know what the red flags are when you're alone in the process. I think it's yeah. so much more difficult to do. Yeah, that. yeah. You bring up a really great point there. I can imagine that sharing those stories and red flags, like how helpful is that? That sounds yeah. so valuable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also managing the emotional roller coaster of the uh, of, of the job hunt. I think the group helps with that. One of the most destabilizing moments of the interview process for me, actually, and this is gonna sound strange, but I'm not the only one, was getting multiple offers. And it was extremely like weird for me because uh, throughout the interview process, you build some kind of relationship with the people, the company, right? Yes. And they become invested in you, you become invested in them. And I my interview, my, my job hunt went well, and I ended up with multiple offers. And then I was completely confused, right? <laughs> it sounds like a good problem to have, but honestly, it was the most stressful moment for me. I felt I was betraying everyone, and I was just very confused. It was very useful to have someone to tell me, hey, listen, right? It's <laughs> it's not an emotional thing, right? If, the, if, if you would have bombed the interview, right, not done well in the interview, the company would have no problem telling you, right, we're yes. going to pick another candidate. Yes. So it's really okay for you to tell the company, right, I had a great time with you, but I'm going to take this other offer. Yes, So just yes. that sense of having, like, people to support me in those, like, strange, like, emotional moments. That yeah. You don't 
Yeah. I mean, that that's that's completely right. I mean, if you were by yourself, how would you have ever sort of made that connection and, yeah. and just having that team behind you? Thank you so much for elaborating on that. That that makes so much sense. So before you receiving the offers, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your interview experience. You interviewed at at several places, both local and in the US. Did you find that there was any interview differences between the US versus Canada? It's a good question. I think, no, I would say the most difference I've seen is between small companies and big companies. Okay. So small companies are all over the place. You have no idea what to expect, right? And I found it a bit more difficult Big companies have a very standardized process and it tends to be, in my experience, right, pretty similar between Canadian and U.S. companies. Okay. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. I guess I just asked just in case that there are people in Canada and they were wondering, is there any sort of differences, but small versus big companies, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I'll mention also is like when I started, I think I was like the first Capstone student from Montreal. At this point, we had a few people from Canada, but not a lot, right? So not a lot of shared experience. It was the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, So when I began my job search, I was very local, right? So I was, I just moved back to Montreal and I was looking locally. And I wasn't so interested for many reasons in the the companies in Montreal. Like the gaming industry, for example, is big here, but I don't have a strong interest for that. So at some point... I suddenly had this kind of breakthrough moment where I realized with the pandemic, many, many companies were starting to hire remotely. Yes. Right. So then I started looking at Canada-wide and US, and that was kind of the breakthrough moment for me because those companies responded to me. And then I was like, oh, interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not limited to the small like Montreal pool. I can apply to all those fancy companies yeah. <laughs> right? in Canada and the US. And this is just a very interesting experience. I would say maybe for people like don't, not all companies, but many companies are much more open to remote work now. Right. So definitely something to consider. I think it's it's much less local than it was before. Yes. I mean, with, with the pandemic, uh, of course, there's been, you know, so many negative consequences that have come out of it. But I guess there has been so many opportunities that have opened up such as remote work. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's it's just really wonderful to to be able to see that it impacted you in a really big way. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that. So if we could talk a little bit about the interviews themselves, uh, they were technical, technical interviews? Yeah, so the, the, it really depends. Usually, as I said, it starts with the, the usual process. And I can tell you also, like, I interview now for my company as an interviewer. Yes. Uh, so I'm very familiar with the process. And I think it's it's fairly standard, right? Sure. So it's usually start with um, a chat with a recruiter. Yes. Right? Uh, this is really pretty short. If it goes well, actually, at Shopify, it's a bit different. It starts so it starts either with that or a small coding challenge, right? Yes. Coding challenges, those kind of entry points are not meant to be too difficult. It's kind of a way to assess a bit your technical abilities and and communication style, I would say, uh-huh. before they move you on. And if you do well, like with those kind of pre-challenges, right? Recruiter talk and a little coding challenges, they scheduled you for what they call the, uh, I think in the pre-pandemic, it was, an, it was called an on-site, right? Because you, you would go to the company headquarters right. to have that. Now it's, it's pretty much, uh, all my experience was remote. And those are usually a bunch of longer interviews, mm-hmm. right? Some of them can be coding based and some of them can be more like system design. Yes. Right? So, so you usually have a few of them. Like, for example, at Shopify, we have like kind of usually like two pair programming interviews and one like that is more kind of system design oriented. 
Sure. Oh, thank you for walking me through that. I also actually wanted to know your sort of personal experience when you were going through the interview process. I just wanted to know how did core and capstone prepare you for those interviews? Because at least for me, when I was doing core, you know, you have those interviews and you wonder, oh, will this all come together at the end? And how does that help? Yeah, I would preface this by saying it's not all interviews will go well and it didn't all go well for me, right? Sure. So I, I applied for many roles and sometimes it's generally not a good fit, right? They're looking for someone with more experience sure, or for expert, with expertise. And sometimes it's just a bad day also. So like, I don't want people to go in with the expectation that like it's going to be a walk in the park. Yes. That being said, most of the time it went really well. And what I, what I felt and what I like to tell people is... Actually, like going to the job search, you've been training for that time since RB101. <laughs> so Launch Cool, no, but for real, Launch Cool has this assessment, right? Yes. A, a, a live assessment where you go in and you code in front of, some, of someone. Yes. It's stressful. <laughs> it's yes. difficult, right? If you've never done it, like most people, your brain goes blank and you freeze and you don't know what to think anymore. And right, like weird things happen in interviews. So we need some practice. Yes. And so we need both like the, the coding skills, right? The problem solving skills, the communication skills, and the kind of interview presence. It's a bunch of skills. Mm-hmm. I think Launch School and especially with Capstone, right? We have the training, right? Again, people don't realize it, but I want when people go into RB or, or GS, right? I did the Ruby track, but into that first assessment, I would like them to think that they're starting to prep for that time, right? In the future, where they're going to be interviewing with their dream company. Wow. <laughs> and that's not the time where you want to mess up, right? Much better to mess up <laughs> in the assessment. Worst case scenario, you get a nut yet, right? You get some great feedback, you practice, you make it. That's much better than if something bad happens when you're interviewing with your dream company. So again, I can, prom- I can promise it's going to go well in every interview, right? Sometimes the interviewer is grumpy. Sometimes you're grumpy. Sometimes it's just a problem that like your brain doesn't comprehend, right? For some reason. So it happens. It's part of the game. But most interviews went really well. People are usually impressed. And it's, it's with me and with, with other people from launch school. Like it's a common thing I've, I've heard uh, about the communication skill. So that's, yes. I would say, maybe the problem-solving approach, mm-hmm. right? Thorough problem-solving approach, like a big red flag from the interviewer perspective <laughs> is when a person jumps right into coding. Uh, that's a red flag, right? Mm-hmm. That's something that we're taught at launch school, right? Mm-hmm. Have some kind of problem-solving approach. And then the communication piece is extremely important too. Yeah. I would say, especially if you're aiming for like more senior roles, then it becomes like a key element of your performance. Yes. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, this is like insight that I've, I've never really had before, but from your perspective, I can see why you would have this. It's just, thank you so much. I just really love core and that we've been preparing from this from the very beginning. It doesn't always feel like that when you're in the thick of it, but looking back at it now and hearing your story, you really are. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. great. <laughs> <laughs> So just talking about, again, you received many offers. How did you know the offer was the one that you wanted to go with? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. As I said, it was tough, right? Because I really felt like in a good interview process, you really kind of build a relationship. Yeah. You kind of invested, right? In, in, in a genuine way. Uh, but I have to say like, so Shopify, they had a few things going on for them. <laughs> they were amazing throughout the interview process. So like from my perspective, and I know it's a bit cliche to say that, but like, you hear sometimes you interviewed them no less than they interview you. So my take is like throughout the interview process, you're kind of gathering those 
clues, right, about a company culture. And you sure. can really see it throughout the interactions you have, throughout. Yeah. Is it easy or difficult to schedule with them, right? Do they make it easy for you? Do they communicate politely, right? Shopify was kind of way above every other company. So just a few examples, like the, the recruiter call I, I told you about, mm-hmm. with them, it's not 15 minutes. It's an hour conversation, right? They call yeah. it the live story interview, and they really want it to be a genuine conversation, yeah. right? And I ended up having such a good time with the recruiter, uh, and it was a very genuine conversation. And then other like kind of little bits that shows show me respect for me as a human is, sure. you know, those on-sites I, I told you where it's like big interviews, one after the other. Many companies, yes. they just put it back to back. Yes. So you kind of have one hour with, in, with a given problem with one interviewer. You, you barely have time to breathe. And then you're in another Zoom room. Another interview should be fine. I think they were the only one to schedule a break. Why? Uh, interviews and to give yes. a voucher for lunch. And it sounds silly, but for me, it shows respect, right? Mm-hmm. And care. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even working for them, right? I'm just mm-hmm. interviewing with them at that point. But they were showing me that they cared for me as a human, right? Yeah. And it impacted my decision at the end. The other two things is like, it made the best offer of all. Yes. The offer was for a senior role. Yes. And I was given my, my pick of the team. So after the recruiter told me I, I, I would have an offer, she said, now it's your time to interview us, right? I'm going to schedule a call with, I think, four different hiring managers, mm-hmm. ask them all the questions, and then you, you get to pick your team. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Which is really cool. <laughs> so, so I think all of those things together, it was like, it's an offer I can't refuse. <laughs> I mean, this sounds like this sounds like a dream. I mean, just going from because you had no programming experience prior to to launch school, right? Yeah, yeah, no yeah. Time. Like this is just like it, it's an unbelievable story because there's many career transitioners at launch school, and even me when I was going through it, I was thinking to myself, I'm a career transitioner, and is this a problem that I haven't been in the industry for very long? But hearing your story and just hearing that it was a senior position, a great salary, and the way that they treated you, that the kind of company that it was, it's just amazing, amazing. Yeah. I'm very happy, like part of my choice was based on human relationships. Yes. And I'm fascinated by our kind of problem space, but I'm also convinced I could be fascinated by many different problem space, but I want to work with fun humans. So yes. this is kind of a, one of my top like criterion and I'm happy I made the decision. Yes. Right. Because again, working with great people is extremely important for me. Yeah. So you've been working at Shopify for a year now, which is really awesome. Could you tell us a little bit more about your, your role? Yeah, for sure. My, my role has evolved a lot. So I've been there for like a year and a half. And I think it has evolved in the direction of kind of data engineering. So my okay. team builds, that's a name given to, to kind of people that work in, in our space, but we build data pipelines. So basically like pipelines that like move enormous amount of data and process an enormous amount of data from one place to another, right? Yes. Uh, and, and maybe the interesting thing to know is that Shopify is kind of known as this big like Ruby and Rails company. Mm-hmm. So Ruby has served me well, right? I'm happy I know Ruby. I love Ruby. But the languages I use most <clears throat> most often at work, it's not Ruby and it's not JavaScript, right? So for people kind of worried like, oh, wh- why Ruby? Why JavaScript, right? <laughs> like, it's okay. So like the repositories, the code bases I interact the most with, one is written in Python and the other one in a language called Scala. 
Right? Wow, yeah. And so this is a pretty kind of data science, data engineering stack, uh, yes. pretty typical of that field. But yes. um, I, I didn't know Python or Scala before joining Shopify, right? So that's interesting because you learned Ruby and JavaScript at launch school. How did you then... Yeah then make the transition to picking up Python and the other language? Yeah, I think that, that's another reason. I, I think like big companies are a good fit, I think, for Capstone graduate because they have the bandwidth, they have a certain bandwidth to allow, allow you to learn. So for example, many people come to Shopify without previous Ruby knowledge, right? Yes. That's not an issue. The company is like, you don't know Ruby, no problem. We're going to teach you. Yes. So we have the resources for that. So that's from the company side. From the launch new side, I think like the emphasis on fundamentals, right? Mm. Allows you, and again, it's a common experience among graduates to pick up another language very quickly. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. So, and I think I mentioned, mentioned that to you, right? There's this, so two things. There is this ability, right? We have the fundamentals. So there are some patterns and languages, right? Yes. It comes back in a different shape. Yes. And, and then something I mentioned, I want, I want people to take away. So when you go through launch school, you go through this learning process, right? And you kind of build your confidence as a learner, as a person mm-hmm. able to learn. And one thing I've noticed at work is I have some extremely talented like colleagues. Some people are scared of new stuff, right? Right. A language that they don't know, they will feel some kind of fear, right? And coming out of launch school, I have this confidence, right? I have this kind of fearlessness that I can do it, right? Maybe it's yeah. going to be hard, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know the process, right? I'm, it's going to be hard. I'm going to suck at it for like a week or two. And then it's uh-huh. going to start to get better, <laughs> right? I, I know this game. I've played it before, right? I've learned Ruby, I've learned JavaScript. I know how yeah. it goes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, so I think I think there is the yeah, fundamentals and the confidence aspect. That plays yeah. Into. So you build all, all of that at launch school. So you've built up that. I've seen this before. I know how it works. And even the fundamentals, how that translates when you're actually on the job is great. Because I think when you're going through core and even the prep courses, you wonder, you know, how, how does this all come together in the real world? And just hearing a story, it's really, really great to hear that it does actually transfer over just in a different way. I think the secret is that launch school teaches you kind of the meta skills, right? They, they pretend yes. they're teaching you programming language. You know, they don't pretend that, but they're teaching you actually much better skills, right? Problem solving, learning yes. how to learn, right? Those are the real skills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so going back to your role, I was wondering, and you don't have to, but would you be able to sort of share your starting salary that you had when you joined Shopify? Yeah, for sure. Take into account I'm based in Canada. Yes. The salary I will give you is a Canadian dollar. And the salaries mm-hmm. are usually uh, lower in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it was a pretty strong offer. So they made an offer at uh, 120K. Wow. Which is more money than I've ever made personally in my life. <laughs> but that, that was the range of, of offers. It wasn't kind of in the exceptional thing, right? The offers were in that range. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I'm sure many, many people going through launch school, actually many people in general would find that like a wonderful starting salary. That's amazing. I, I think it goes up pretty fast also. Like mm-hmm. I started at 120, but it's, and also for people that don't know how salary work in tech, like this is base salary. Yes. So you have your base salary, you have some kind of a, a type of stock option, Right. You have some sure. other benefits. So all that is kind of your package. And yes. even the base salary tends to go up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's already for me not 120 anymore. It went up. So mm-hmm. I would say the more uh, your experience you have and the more you, you show that you can do the job, this is yes. just 
this is just your start. It's an excellent starting point, right? And I, I was I was thrilled by this number. But then <laughs> it's kind of just your new starting point. You're, yeah. you're not stuck with that number forever. That is so amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for being candid enough to sort of share that with us. So that's that's very exciting news. <laughs> so since your time at Shopify and working as a software engineer, what has your post-capstone career trajectory been like? I want to say, first of all, like it's really, really fun. I don't want people to forget that. I, I told you before, right? For me, core was fun and capstone yes. was fun too, right? I was kind of wondering in capstone, like, oh, when, when will it stop being fun, right? Yeah. Uh, and work is even more fun because like, <laughs> finally, like we're unleashing those skills that we've sharpened. Yeah. For like years, right? More than a year. Yes. On real world problem. And I find that extremely like exciting, right? Mm. It's kind of, instead of working on projects, right? Launchpool, it has to give you like exercises, right? And small yes. projects. Yes. It's, it's really, really fun to use those skills to solve some world moral problems. So I think that that was like super exciting for me. And it's been going well. Again, like when I joined, I was hired as a, a senior developer. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Canada, we're not allowed to call ourselves uh, engineers. So we're okay. called a software developer. Usually. Okay. Yes. Yeah, but at the same time, this this was freaking me out <laughs> because I had like total imposter syndrome, right? Oh, right, yes. <laughs> but but it's been going well, actually. So we, we have this thing, I, I don't know if people are familiar with it, but I, I wasn't because I'm not from, a, my, my past is not in a corporate environment, but there is there are mm-hmm. those things called a performance review. Yes. Right? So they usually happen like a, a few times a year, mm-hmm. uh, probably typical of big companies. I, I can speak for small ones. This was extremely reassuring for me because well, when it's well done, it's it's not meant to be like a, if you get along with your manager, you will give you a good grading. They actually really go and talk, uh, get feedback from your teammates, right? Get feedback from people from other teams that you've interacted mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. right? And in our case, uh, there was also kind of a higher level discussion between the senior leadership, right? Of kind of assisting people. And like, for me, it went well, right? I've had like excellent performance reviews so far. And this was the validation for me because I think, and you mentioned, right? I, I was a student, I was a TA. I wanted to see by myself the results, right? right. And for me, the results, it's not getting the job. It's yes. performing well in the job, right? Yes. So it, it wasn't a matter of like, can I, can I get the fancy job? It's like, when I do get it, do I perform well? Mm-hmm. So for me, that those performance reviews were the validation I kind of was looking for, right? As someone yeah. coming from, of course, I was looking for some kind of validation, right? Coming from an unusual background, right? And jumping in this big company world and feeling like, wow, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I need to manage this new environment. I, I, I was, there was an element of doubt. Yeah. So that, that was a kind of mo- big moment for me, kind of mm-hmm. for me. But for me and for launch school students, right? I, I don't want people to think that this is about me. It's about me as an example, mm-hmm. student from launch school. Because I think mm-hmm. it's it's pretty typical what I what I talk about, right? Yes. Seeing, again, not just getting good jobs, but yes. performing really well in them. So yes. uh, so far, my rating I've been like high positive, which is actually the the uh, highest rating that you can get. Wow. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. And, and like, again, like, I feel really, really shy saying this, right? Yeah. This my invitation <laughs> because I don't want people to think that it's about me, right? It's about yeah. the process that yes. launch group takes us through. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> right? If not, if not, I will, I will regret forever mentioning this. <laughs> I mean, I also want to congratulate you because, you know, this is very hard work and it is the process as well. I think launch school is what you put into it is what you get out of it and working really hard to get to where you are now. Like, like I can't ignore that. I don't want to, <laughs> that, that is very important. <laughs> but um, also that it is the process as well, that it is going through core, learning the fundamentals, spending a lot of time understanding and going through each little granular fundamental that's in a language and then being able to sort of extrapolate that into other languages and, and expand on that and more integrated learning and, and processes as well. So it's also that as well. So thank you. So looking back on it now, would you say that the slower path of mastering the fundamentals is better in the long run? <laughs> I'm I'm biased, right? <laughs> but but yes, of course, right? Like I think uh, a few things, but I, I'm I love long schools community, right? I'm biased because I, I was a student, I was a TA, uh, mm-hmm. and and because it changed my life. <laughs> yeah. Even now, right? I've been working more than a year and a half, and I still kind of have to pinch myself. <laughs> and say like wow like this is great <laughs> right it's it's like it's fun it's interesting you you keep on learning and there's no end to it there's a lot of freedom in in, in my daily life right uh, which mm. I, I personally really enjoy I think coming from a non-tech background yes. I'm even more aware of that it's even strange for me to be immersed in that environment where people take it for granted sure right uh, not, not everyone but it's kind of okay are all your colleagues have the same life condition as you and it's 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 hard it's still hard for me to comprehend right and I, I'm still like as I said pinching myself like wow this is a really really good life <laughs> uh, it was worth it was worth the slow path definitely and it feels like I won't lie sometimes it feels really long right during core sometimes yeah. like I remember those uh, doubtful moments because for a very long time it's tough for me to say this because like it's hard to believe right I remember being in core and hearing Capstone graduate. Yes. And like, oh no, no, these people are special, right? Yes. Like, I can't be like them. Yes. But that's definitely not what I want people to take away, right? I want people to take away, like, I'm a super normal person. The path is given to you. So this is great because you can get lost on the path. There is so much stuff to learn. So basically, the thing you have to do is keep on walking. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Sometimes, again, like, you will be bummed by something you don't understand or stuff will happen in your life and you will progress slower, right? I know I had my doubts moment where like, is this really going to get me where I want to go? Yeah, yeah. Right? So from the other side, I I hope people will believe me. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And like, they can reach out to me directly to talk with me, right? I'm super happy to chat with people because I definitely want them to see this as a process that is not easy, but that is accessible. Yes. Oh, right. (laughs) It's very interesting that you mentioned all of this because a student actually recently asked about software engineers who get that sort of love the work that I do feeling. And this particular student was in the middle of core. And I think many students though wonder about this while they're in core and they ask themselves, do you ever get that love the work that I do feeling at your job? What would you say to those that can't yet see it from where they stand. I think you you did answer this, but I just thought I'd ask you anyway. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I saw that in Slack. The questions tend to come back again and again, right? Yes. Uh, and I think three of us did a recorded session about what it's like to work as a software engineer. Yes. So people can go to that also and then they can reach out to me. LaunchCon is a very special community. I would say use your time there to build relationships, mm. right? 
like there's a bunch of uh, Capstone graduates that are now software engineers hanging out in Slack, including me, right? But a bunch of others also. Yeah. And most of us are very happy to chat with people. So this is one of the things I did throughout Core and Capstone and one of the things I would recommend, right? Mm. To reach out is very tough. Like it gets very isolating if you do it by yourself. Yeah. It's hard to keep the motivation, right? You can spiral out and kind of doubts about the whole thing. Sure. What made me go through was having some buddies. And I think it's, a, again, very common experience. Mm-hmm. So in my in my case, my launch group buddies, I call them, and I'm still in touch with them, right? We went through it together. So at one point, one of us would be down and the other would pull the person, right? And at some point, I would be down. So we kind of like pull each other through and it, just like amazing like brainstorming partners, right? To talk yeah. about the concept. So there's like, those are kind of peers. Yeah. But I would say you also have access through the community to people a few steps ahead of you. Yeah. Example, working engineers. Yes. And I would say reach out, right? Every time I'm on some kind of like public place uh, like this chat, I say, hey, folks, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I love talking with people. <laughs> a few people reach out, right? Not many, a few do. And yes. usually we start building some kind of friendship. Yeah. And it takes a bit of time to build that friendship. It mm-hmm. doesn't happen in one Slack exchange. But it happened more than once that I said something. <laughs> Someone reached out to me, right? A, a student beginning the core curriculum. Yes. And keep the conversation going. Yes. Right? Maybe once every few months. And I've seen some of those folks go from zero to job offer, right? Yeah. It's been amazing for me. So you you have access to that. And then like to answer your question, it gives you knowledge about what it's like to be a working software engineer. Yeah. It gives you knowledge about the industry. You start seeing how people talk about their job, talk about their company, their industry. Yeah. You start building this kind of self-image of you as a software engineer, right? right. Which I think is very important that goes through connection and then the added benefit is you have a bunch of friends in the industry afterwards so the relationship i made during core right mm-hmm. those friendships now we're all working software engineers yes and i continue to benefit from that it's amazing amazing to have connections throughout the industry yeah. right? and to chat with folks in other companies and know hey your company does that in this way or maybe you're paid that much, right? Mm. You know what's working well at your company, what's maybe not so great. And then you make your call, right? Yeah. But it's a big advantage, I see. Um, yeah. During launch school itself and post launch school, like I think one of the, the biggest gifts I've received from launch school is actually the network of people. Mm. And I, I, I hope people realize it, right? And invest some energy in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such great advice. I mean, I know this myself firsthand. The community is just very strong, always willing to help, always willing to provide support for one another. And anytime that you just put a question out there, there's always somebody that'll come back and try to help as best they can. And I've never seen anything quite like it before. So I know what you mean by that. Thank you so much for reinforcing that for those that don't quite maybe make that connection. There's, there's one thing I would like to add, because sometimes when I say that, I think some people think I'm like a very outgoing person. Yes. Because I know some, some people reach out to me in the past saying like, hey, like I, I'm kind of shy, right? I know how right. to do it. And yes. I would say like, I'm a shy person too, right? I like to spend time by myself. Like I'm a, a, an introvert as many software engineers are. I love people, right? But I have this shyness in me for sure. So I understand that it's kind of tough in the beginning to... Yes. 
reach out to people, to put yourself out there. I would say it's it's a skill, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of learning to be comfortable in different types of environment and knowing mm-hmm. to overcome that kind, that kind of fear of like, oh, I don't know this person. They seem so far removed from me, right? Maybe they're they're an important software engineer. I don't want to like take take their time. This is nonsense, (laughs) right? Like worst case scenario, the person doesn't respond, right? And best case scenario, you become friends. Like I don't want people to be stopped by thinking they don't have good people skills, right? Or they're shy. It's something you develop. It's something that's extremely, extremely relevant on the workplace too, right? So what you mentioned before, this kind of people answering questions on Slack, Yes. Right. I would recommend doing that also. So it's reaching out to ask questions and it's also reaching out to answer questions. Yes. And in the workplace, in a big company, you mm. do want that kind of visibility, right? Extremely right. good for you as an yes. employee. If yes. You're kind of building your, your reputation in a good way, right? By answering people's questions on Slack, this is something that happens at work. Yes. You become visible and you start building your reputation as a knowledgeable person, as a helpful person. Right. Those are amazing skills. Yeah. I mean, I haven't thought of it about that, but that makes perfect sense. So even when you're, you're in the community at launch school and you're talking, you're helping each other. I hadn't even made that connection that that is also a skill that you need to use all the time, every day in your job. Yeah. Start practicing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so just looking back at your time at launch school, you're also a TA. How has being a TA impacted your career? Wow, it's such a great thing. I have to say, I, I'm, I'm biased with this also. I love teaching. So uh-huh. at different points in my life, I, I taught different subjects. So for example, like, oh, I was teaching at university in my early 20s, right? And I was a shy person by then. What it gave me is being able to be comfortable in front of a group of people. That's mm-hmm. a great gift, mm-hmm. right? Launch school is similar thing, right? So you, through TAing, you will learn a lot by answering questions, right? Yes. The TAs are amazing, right? And they know their stuff. Students will always come up with like some amazing questions that will throw you off balance. <laughs> I've never thought about this this way. <laughs> Interesting. Like, let's think about it, right? Yes. There are different humans with different perspectives, right? And yes. it will just make your own perspective richer by yes. having to explain. And then you develop those kind of mentoring skills, right? Teaching skills. Right. Of not, like, it's one thing to understand for yourself. It's another mm-hmm. thing to be able to explain it clearly to another person. Yes. And that's a great skill to have, right? So that's a big differentiator between more junior folks in the workplace and senior people. So I'm pretty convinced that one of the reasons I was hired as a senior developer was my uh, communication abilities, right? Right. And those were shaped by many things, but one of them was being a TA. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. We're always looking for new TAs to join the launch school staff. And I will also link in the show notes, if you do want to be a TA, we have some requirements that you do need in order to be a TA. But if you are interested, it does actually make such a big impact on your career as well as, as you've mentioned, Catherine. The, the only piece of advice I've seen is like, because people ask me sometimes about TA, yes. is it, it will slow you down a bit, right? And your progress as a student. Yes. So I know some people uh, the, are in different situations. Sure. If your focus is really like, I want to get there as fast as possible, even with a slow path, take yes. that into consideration. If you have a bit of space, right, and you say, okay, it's going to help me work on those really essential skills. Yes. I'm ready to progress a bit slower through the curriculum. Yes. Like, take that into account, right? It's, it's really a choice people have to make. 
Yes, absolutely. Of course, not everybody's able to be that, but if you do have the opportunity, there's no harm in reaching out. <laughs> Thank you. So last but not least, do you have any specific advice for students who are currently going through the program, aiming for Capstone, just to help them create the kind of successes that you've already achieved at Launch School? And I know you've already mentioned a lot of things already, but is there anything else that you'd like to add? Yeah, personally, I would double down on, on connection with other people. But it's also more technical than people expect. I don't mean only like chatting with folks. So chatting with sure. folks is great. Yeah. I mean, everything that we've said, right? So it can be answering questions in Slack. It can be creating some small study groups, right? It can be, if given the opportunity, TAing, right? There are spot needs. You want to start building that ability because in, in Capstone also and in the workplace, like this is not a solo activity. This is in big companies, at least a team activity. Yes. Right. So large school teaches you the technical stuff very deeply. Yes. And uh, it gives you a playground to work on the more, I don't even like it when people call it people's stuff, right? But it's kind of the interrelational aspect of it. But for me, interrelational yes. is also how do you combine ideas with another person right. to get to even better ideas, right? Yes. Uh, so it's even a very creative process for me. And I think lunch school gives you the playground, but the students need to be proactive about it, right? Yes. So you don't, you don't have necessarily, we have assessment that assess like communication abilities, but I think mm-hmm. a part of it is left up to the student. Yes. Like, again, lunch school gives the space and the playground for it. Yes. Use it, right? Because those skills are extremely valuable for Capson itself, right? And in the job, like more than you think. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, in my experience, people often ask me also, what's the differentiator, right? And it will be different for, for different companies, right? Between more junior folks, senior folks. That's that's the difference, right? The technical skills will get deeper, of course, but the big part of it is, are you a good team player, right? And this is many kind of sub-skills, right? Are you able to, to drive a team to consensus, right? Are you able yes. to communicate your ideas? Are you able to be receptive to the ideas of some, someone else? So sure. anyway, I up there, but I would just double down on that because I fear not enough people or not everyone takes full advantage of, of the kind of playground lunch school offers for that. Yeah, I mean... Because there is a, a, like a wonderful community, but you don't always often think about how this is going to impact me in the long run. And you make some really great points here about how much and how important that skill is <laughs> in the workforce. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. It was just lovely to be able to have you talk today, hear your story, and hear your whole journey. It's a unique perspective. You've been in the industry for about a year now, and just looking back on it, it's very unique. And a really great vantage point for people that can't always see where they are, especially if they're going through core and they're in the middle of, you know, technicalities and assessments and, and learning. And, and just to sort of hear a story where it all is worth it. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we close? No, I would say thank you. It was, it was a pleasure chatting with you. I would, I would say again, like people listening to this, I'm on Slack. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I'm all, always happy to chat with people and just kind of get to know who you are and share a bit of of my journey if I can give some advice. Yes. No, no worries. (laughs) Thank you so much, Catherine. 
Wasn't she great? I really enjoyed interviewing Catherine and hearing all about her unique journey towards becoming a software engineer. And finally, we come to the last part of the show, some announcements and quick reminders about the latest events at Launch School. So first off, the Data Structures and Algorithms Peer-Led Seminar is underway. If you haven't signed up for this seminar, not to worry. Sessions are recorded and will be available in the archive section on the Launch School website. We have just wrapped up another impressive set of capstone presentations from our latest cohort. If you are not able to attend, rest assured, presentations are recorded and will be available in the video section on the Launch School website. The next Launch School Women's Group is on August 28th, open to women and non-binary folks. If this is you listening, you are always welcome to come along. And Launch School student Chelsea has written a great pair of articles, Time Arts Parts 1 and 2, where she has some useful insights on comparing running to programming that is well worth the read. And as a reminder for future podcast episodes, we are always looking to answer student questions on air. So if you have any questions about anything Launch School related, whether it's our prep course, core, capstone and beyond, please fill out our form in the show notes and your question could be answered in our next episode. And that's it from me. Everything mentioned here today can be found in the show notes on podcast.launchschool.com. And if you have an idea for an interview or anything podcast related, you can reach out to us at our URL, launchschool.com forward slash podcasts hyphen requests.